right, Mark chapter number four. We're at verse 14, and uh, we're going to look at the parable of the sower. And uh, we've spent uh, the last couple studies looking at why Jesus Christ taught in parables. And uh, if you uh, look there in verse 2, 4 2, and he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine and so forth. And uh, we began to look at the parables. We looked at why Christ was talking into the parable, teaching with them, why he moved that direction. And then if you look down at verse 34, chapter 4, verse 34, but without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And again, the issue there with the parables is that he spoke to the multitude out there in a parable because of that issue of the two groups that are now evident in Israel, the apostate nation, and now this little flock, this believing remnant that he's been calling out of the, the ranks and so forth of that apostate nation, and he begins to uh, move now away. He was, he's withdrawing from the, uh, the, mat, the big nation, the apostate nation, and he's moving towards just teaching and training the little flock. So he gives two parables that he then interprets. Uh, one is the parable of the sower, which is what we have here in Mark. And then there is the parable of the tares and the wheat. And that one's found in Matthew. And these two he interprets so that he can then turn and the little flock will then be able to use the parable of the sower as a template. And here's how to understand all of the other parables. If you look at verse 13, uh, 413, and he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? So the parable of the sower sits in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The parable of the tares and the wheat only sits in Matthew. He gives the interpretation in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So again, the issue here is he's, chained, he's moving to talk in parables. If you look there at verse 9, and he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's who he's reaching, the ones that have the ear of faith. And when they, he, he's moving towards that believing remnant, the, the little flock there, and his preaching and his teaching and so forth is now going to move that direction. And what mainline Christianity says is what well, he taught in parables because he's a great storyteller and he wanted everybody to get it. And again, a parable is just a physical illustration of a spiritual truth. They're parallel with one another. So a parable is going to be more intense, or, or, sorry, less intense than the real deal. You hear people talk about rich man and Lazarus being a parable. Well, then that means the reality is worse than the parable. <laughs> And the rich man was in torments and stuff like that. So when we talk here about the sower, uh, the parable of the sower, here's, again, how to interpret the rest of the parables, verse 13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. Now, if you look across at verse 3, he says, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. So the sower here, here so we're going to have a pattern. The sower, verse 14, is going to soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who, when they had heard, I'm sorry, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. 
and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises by the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it become unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And, and again, the issue here is in, in the parables is so that, all, so that the believing element, the believing remnant, the little flock, will be able to understand what the Lord's teaching moving forward. So the sower, he's going to sow the seed. Uh, that seed, if you notice here, is the word. If you, when you think about this, the, the sower, he's just he's casting it out. He, he's broadcasting it. He's throwing it out. So in, the issue in the sower here is going to be those four different types of soil. There, there's four different types of response now to the Lord's ministry to what he's doing. And ultimately what he's going to be doing in the sower is here's how the little flock is going to come to be. All right? Here's how they're going to show up. So you've got these four soils, and they are picturing and showing the response that's being given to the preaching of the word, to the, to the casting out here of the seed. So the, the issue, and, and by the way, if you look there at verse 19, the end of that verse, and it becometh unfruitful, and then in verse 20, you'll, you see there toward the end where they bring forth fruit. The ultimate issue here is going to be the issue of fruitfulness, and that issue here of the response that causes the seed to grow and produce mature produce fruit you know we've got citrus trees at home and you don't pick the fruit at the beginning of the year you wait or the beginning of the season it blooms it blossoms you wait till when till it's harvest time so this seed is being sown here and there's going to be fruit out in the picture in the future so the issue here with Israel the national the apostate Israel is that they're barren. They're not producing the fruit meet for repentance, the fruit that the kingdom is going to require. So it, that's going to be ultimately the issue here, is that issue of who's going to produce the fruit. And that's who, and we'll see this as we go through. Notice verse 14. The sower soweth the word. Now come over to Luke 8. Luke chapter 8. So the seed is the word of God. Look at Luke 8 and verse 11. So Mark says the sower is sowing the word. Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So Mark says it's the word. Luke gets a little more specific. The word of God. Now come over to Matthew 13. And notice how it even gets even more specific than just the word is broad. The word of God is a little narrower. But in Matthew 13, if you look at verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. See how it got real specific? Now it's not just any of the word of God. It's now it's the word of the kingdom. So the sower is sowing the word of God, but very specifically what? The gospel of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom. So the parable here is going to have to do with the sowing of the gospel of the kingdom. That specific word that uh, is being preached, broadcast, by the Lord in his earthly ministry, and then by the little flock in the early Acts period. And that par the parable, that's what we're going to be dealing with. 
Matthew, if you're here, Matthew 13, I'll just remind you, if you look at verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Do you see how the, the parable, the kingdom of heaven is likened? And you go through the, the six, uh, well, there's seven mystery parables of the kingdom, and you work down through them, and all of them will say, the, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, and it goes into the parable, except for this first one. Because this first one isn't about likened to the kingdom. This first one is about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, personally, what he's doing. So the sower here is going to be the Savior, the Lord, and it's there by implication, but it's also in Matthew. Uh, by the way, you get mu much more detail in some of in these in Matthew because of what Matthew is picturing and painting. The picture Matthew's painting is a dispensational change within the nation of Israel's program to now here's the king. He's on board, but so here's some more information. If you look at chapter 13, you're in 13 of Matthew, look down at verse 37. Because here he's going to explain the tares, the parable of the tares, verse 37. Uh, the end of verse 36 there, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. And again, that's, uh, I, I, the parables begin with the sower. Well, who is that? Well, it's the son of man. Which Now, that title, the Son of Man, is a messianic title. You go back to Daniel 7 and you study out there where the Son is going to go to the Ancient of Days. The Father receives the kingdom and he comes back. And the title in, in that passage is Son of Man. So the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Lord, he's sowing. He's sowing a message. The message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he's out doing that now there's a response to that and then there's a purpose in what he's preaching that's now going to come and israel go back there to mark um mark 4 israel at this point has demonstrated itself to be in complete rejection to the Messiah and his followers and that message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and we looked a couple weeks ago, when a couple studies ago, I should say, when the Lord withdraws, he's now withdrawing as he's doing here in chapter 3 and, and Mark and in the first part of 4. He's withdrawing himself. He knows he's going to Calvary. They don't know that yet, but he does. So there's now going to be a delay in the kingdom coming. And we looked at that, how when he fed the 5,000, immediately they thought the kingdom was, not the 5,000, the disciples immediately, they thought the kingdom was coming. So he gives them the parable of the nobleman goes off, receives the kingdom, and then comes back. He lays out the picture of the delay for them. So that's what we have here. So as the Son of Man, he's out preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because now there's a response and what we have is we have that little flock of believers they are responding to his message but yet there is still that other multitude of people who are rejecting his message and that's where the four types of soil mark four here are going to be critical in identifying and seeing what's going on. Because what the Lord is ultimately doing in the, sower, in the parable of the sower is he's explaining to the apostles and, and then disciples the impact of his ministry and his message, and the result of it is the forming of the little flock. How did we get to the little flock? Well, this is what happened. The sower, he's out preaching the word, spreading the word, preaching the word of the kingdom. 
And as he's broadcasting it and throwing it out there, some are landing here, some are, the word is landing here, 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 and so the, uh, the wayside, I had to figure, couldn't remember the first one. <laughs> the wayside, the stony ground, the thorns, and then the good ground. And there's three different responses. And in the good ground, that's where the little flock's coming from. So as he's, as the disciples in total see what's going on, you know, and then they see him do this, he's explaining to them, look, I'm doing this because I, we're doing this, okay? So in this parable of the sower, he explains how he is gathering the little flock. In the parable of the tares of the field, the tares and the wheat, he then describes the ministry of the little flock in the early Acts period, moving on into the 70th week of Daniel, and then moving on out into the kingdom, so their ministry, but then he's also demonstrating to them the satanic policy of evil, the opposition that's going to come up against them. And so just as they've got a ministry, the adversary's got a ministry as well. And, when, and they need to understand that. They need to recognize that. And actually in our study in Matthew, as we move through the book, we got a great picture of how the Lord really is training them for the future in the, in the book. So here he's teaching them uh, so that they'll understand how he got the little flock. They're going to understand the delay. And since Israel has rejected him, he's withdrawn to simply teach the little flock with really the view of the future. His departure, the, which is the cross, the fact that because of the cross, the kingdom's going to be delayed, and they have a ministry now that's coming their way, an occupation for them to do in his absence and after the cross, after the resurrection, and that's what the parables are going to do. So these parables are given really in the light of the delay of the kingdom, the, the, the fact that Calvary is coming, and their ministry after the resurrection so that they understand what's going on. Now, we're going to see the end of that list as we move forward in, in the Gospel of Mark, especially the rest of Mark 4 and into 5. We're going to begin to see some of these details just kind of flow. Okay? Verse 14. The sower soweth the word. Here he is. He's gathering the little flock. We're going to see the reactions here to him from the nation itself. And we see him in the, four, in the three, uh, well, the four soils that are listed. Now go back up to verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his dark doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. So he's describing the ministry he's having among the multitude. And in the multitude, there are going to be four specific uh, hearers, response, in these soils. Verse 15. And these are they by the wayside. So you got the wayside. Verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns. And then verse 20, you've got the good ground. And, and, and we understand that. When he says the wayside, that's, uh, that's hard. That's a walking path, Okay. Uh, we were, I was out in the West Valley a couple weeks ago, and, and I wanted to look at the neighborhood I was in, so I went down and around, and all of a sudden there's a walking path, and horses were on it. That's hard ground. It's packed. It's not cultivated. It's not ready to, be, to receive seed. It's not been fertilized. So what's going to happen? Well, Satan's going to show up. 
And again, we'll get into the stony and the thorny and the good here in just a minute. Look at verse 15. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. So the Lord's out. I mean, if you think about the guy sowing in the field, you know, he's just out there throwing it, whoever will listen. And this lands on the wayside. And the wayside, the ground here is not cultivated. It's not been turned over. And it hits it, and what happens? But when they have heard it, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, what happens? Well, they're not prepared for it. The ground's not even ready. But who shows up immediately? I, I love that. Immediately. He, Satan cometh immediately. There's no delay here. If you look at verse 4, just kind of as an aside, he, the end of that verse Verse 4, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the, er, of the air came and devoured it. Well, the fowls of the air, in the interpretation, that's Satan. So in Scripture, when you see birds involved, it's usually a satanic activity that's associated with it. So the, the birds come, and they get it. Satan, so he's pointing here to the satanic opposition. That's what he's talking about. Here's the nation. He's out throwing the word. He's giving the pre he's preaching and showing. He's doing everything. And immediately the satanic opposition shows up and takes away the word, removes it. In verse 15, the end of that verse, he says, the word that was sown, notice, in their hearts, they have an accountability to it, okay? It was put there. It's not just something that they've never paid attention to. Uh, come back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. You know, Paul in Romans 2 talks about what advantage did the Jews have. Well, they had the Word of God. That's what the, uh, that was their advantage. Uh, Deuteronomy 30 Look at verse 14. Now, this verse, Paul's going to quote in Romans 10. When we get over in Romans 10, we'll see why Paul quotes it there. He says, But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. That's Moses in the final warnings of him before he's leaving the scene and they're going to go into the land. Uh, and he says what? The word is where? It's in your mouth, but it's also in your heart. So Israel had God's words. It was, it was presented to them. They had it. Even though they had it, who came? The satanic policy of evil come and took it away from them. Come back to Matthew 13. Notice how Matthew says this. In Matthew 13. Matthew 13. So when, when the Lord says, or when Mark says, Satan he came immediately, there's something going on in that that is a, is a point to the religious system of Israel. Matthew 13, look at verse 19. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that, it, that which was sown in his heart, that he which received seed by the wayside. Notice how it says, then cometh the wicked one. Mark said Satan. Okay? But you see that wicked one? Now, it doesn't carry the capital W and the capital O, like Paul does in 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul uses the wicked one as a title of the Antichrist. But who is the Antichrist? Am I going too fast? Thessalonians 2. I'm sorry. Just say, yo, slow down. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, and it is verse 8. Okay? That's the right reference. Paul says the wicked one. Well, that's a title of the Antichrist. 
But who is the Antichrist, ultimately? Well, he's the personification of the satanic policy of evil against God's plan in the earth. So when he says, here's the wicked one, Matthew 13, Mark says, here's Satan, what he's talking about is the religious system that's going to produce the Antichrist that has captured Israel. They're in captivity. If, if you remember back, back there in Mark, uh, Mark um, 3 about the strong man and the stronger and the mighty man and all that, we looked at all of that. They, that system has captured Israel and what it does is it keeps them from hearing God's word. Go back to Mark 4. So when God's word does come, presents itself, the religious system comes in and says, no, you don't. No. That's not, no. You're over here. And there's an immediate movement. That's why John the Baptist in Matthew 13, I'm sorry, in Matthew 3, when he looks there at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they come to his baptism, and he says, O ye generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You think about that. Matthew 23, the, the Lord calls them vipers. Now, a viper, generation of viper, and that word generation doesn't always carry time with it. We usually, that's where we land. But generation, generate. What's the source of your life? Okay. Well, the source of their life is the, is the devil. John 8, 44 there, the Lord looks at him and says, You're of your father, the devil. Not physically, but spiritually. So that generation, what's generating their life? Their life source is Satan and the satanic policy. That's why he calls them a viper. A viper is not just a snake, it's a deadly snake. You know, there's a lot of snakes that are good guys. You want them around, you know. But these guys you don't want. So we're, he's describing the satanic system that has them captured them. It's got their, Israel in, the, in, in its grips so thoroughly that as soon as they hear the word, that system comes in and takes it away from them. Takes it, well, verse 15, it was sown in their hearts. So it's removed immediately from their hearts so they wouldn't hear it. They, they can't hear it. They, they're, they're not listening at all. So there's going to be people in Israel who, when Christ preached to them, who were so far into the grips of the satanic policy of evil, that vain, bale religious system, that they don't even hear the words. They've just completely, poof. And literally, I'll be honest with you, as we go through these three grounds here, you really see not only two, you know, apostate Israel believing Israel, but within apostate Israel, you begin to see people that are so far gone, the, the, the wayside, that they're not listening to other people who are going to listen, get it, hear it, and go, wow, great. And then when trouble comes, they run. And other ones, life gets, you know, the, the lust of the flesh gets them. And, and it's, but yet, what did they do? They heard it. They enjoyed it. They, they saw it. But yet, in the ultimate, in the end, they just don't believe it. So when you come back to Mark 4 here, that, st that wayside, and again, the, the key, I, I, I said this Sunday, every word in the verse is important. And the word that was sown in their hearts, they have an accountability to that because of who they are. Now, verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. Stony ground, where the rocks are. Well, what do they do? They hear the word and they receive it. Man, it sounds good. It's something worth listening to. And then you get verse 17. 
and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. They hear the word, they go, man, we ought to listen to this guy. But then as soon as trouble comes, what do they do? They say, see you later, we're out of here. And literally they don't count the cost for standing with the truth. And that's what you see when it, but when it's time to count the cost, they, you know, cut bait or fish, they, they go away, they leave. Okay, now come over to John 6 and see an illustration of these guys. John 6. So John, uh, Mark 4, 15 there, the wayside, the illustration of that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, they don't even entertain the word. It's immediately gone. He does, they're mad at him for healing on the Sabbath. Why? Because it goes against the, tr the traditions of the elders and the fathers. John 6, here's an illustration of the stony ground people. John 6, he has just fed the 5,000, uh, verse 14. They've, the, the, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. He just fed the 5,000. They saw it. They reap the benefits they enjoyed it they heard it they're like man this is good news verse 15 when jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king he departed again into the mountain himself alone what did look at that they weren't believing what in him being the messiah they were believing and what did he just do he fed them we're going to make you king because you can feed us. You can take care of us. They weren't believing what he said. He understood that, so what did he do? He left. They weren't following him because they were believing who he was. They heard in his message. They were following him for what they could get out of the situation. They liked it. They enjoyed it. They, well, they received it with, Gladness. Why? They got their bellies full. They had all they could handle. They, but man, when Jesus knew it, what did he do? He's out of here. Why? Because they weren't following him for the message sake. Come over to chapter 8 of John. Chapter 8, verse 25. Same crowd, a different group of people, but the same crowd ultimately. Verse 25, then said they unto him, who art thou? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I love that. I, the sarcasm is just, mm. he just, who, who are you? I'm the same guy I told you was when we first started. Then uh, I, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in, oh, uh, let's go verse 26. I'm sorry. I, went, I read the wrong verse there. Verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Now watch what happens here. Verse 27, they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. They have no root. Remember the stony, the stony ground? They, and have no root in themselves, Mark 4, 17? They don't understand what's going on. They have no clue. Verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, Now watch, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice the criteria to being one of his disciples is to continue in my word. 
Well, what happens if they continue in his word? <laughs> Trouble's coming. Trouble's going to get there. And you know what these guys do? They take off. Believe? Great. We got it. Wonderful. But man, can we endure to the end? That verse in Matthew, endure, those that endure to the end shall be saved. But it's the endure to the end of what? Well, in Matthew, well, what the Lord's talking about, 70th week of Daniel, you've got to get down through the trip. You want to go into the kingdom, believe in me, is great, but man, you've got to get down. You've got to do what? Count the cost. So the issue, and by the way, continuing, if you continue in my word, counting the cost, that's, a, again, that issue of fruitfulness. And it, it, it doesn't come at the beginning. It comes down later at the harvest. Their harvest is the kingdom. That, that's where it is. And the fruitfulness is going to be out there in the future in the kingdom. I, you know, we were doing that. We've been doing that long study in the Sunday morning. It's a big picture. And I didn't get into everything that I studied in Genesis 1. But you think about Genesis 1, verse 28, when the Lord commissions man. He says to Adam to go, what's the first thing he says for Adam to be? Fruitful. Replenish, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. So man's job, his commission, man's commission in the earth, the first of it is to be fruitful. And that has to do with bringing the earth into subjection and under the dominion of the authority of the Lord. Go back to Mark 4, but it starts with them being fruitful. So the fruitfulness and the issue of bringing forth fruit really ultimately will have the purpose of man in the earth. And as the son of man, that's John 8 there, the person, and by the way, the son of man, he's the personification of God's purpose for man in the earth and the kingdom, which is the ultimate conclusion of an accomplishment of the whole program. So Mark 4, verse 17. They start good, but man, when trouble comes up, they don't, they don't continue. They don't finish. They, I love that. They are offended. <laughs> they, oh, you've offended me, and off we go. Over there, uh, John says they are, uh, are uh, they are not. And it's in Revelation. I'm sorry, they're not of us. If for if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. No, it's in First John. Okay, and that's the case here. They're really not of us. They boy, they look good. They they love it, but yet when trouble comes, off they go. So verse 18. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. So the first ground, the wayside ground, there we see the attack of Satan, the adversary, the opposition, the religious system. Then, we see, then on the stony ground, that's, when they don't continue on and carry out, that's really an attack of the flesh. Because if you think about what's coming their way, the mark of the beast, well, what happens on day 20 that you haven't eaten? What's your, what's your flesh saying? We got to eat. Just take it. Get over. What did Job's wife say to him? Just curse God and die. Get over with this. See? And that's so that flesh gets involved. Now we're going to talk about the thorny ground. And here is the attack of the world, verse 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. So now we have the world choking it out, choking the word out, the cares of the world, and again, the result is being unfruitful. Now come over to Luke 14 and notice a great illustration, a great picture of this. Luke 14 and verse 16. 
And again, the, uh, this is uh, a, a parable of the great supper, it's called. Verse 16, then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. Luke 14, 17, verse 18. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuses. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them, and I pray thee, ha have me excused. Now, honestly, if you're going to buy a piece of ground, you're going to already have seen it. That's a lame excuse. Same with the ox. You're going to go out, work them out, test them, throw them around the field. You're going to, you know, put them through their, their paces before you buy them. So that's pretty lame. Now, watch the next guy. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, that's probably, Dad said this one time, and I, 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 I got a note. That's probably the only one that's legitimate because Deuteronomy 24 says when the guy gets married, he's to do nothing for a year, so no war, no new job, no new business, and rather he's to stay home and to cheer up his wife. <laughs> that's very interesting, you know. She may not, <laughs> exactly. So that's the only one that you could sit there and go, yeah, okay, that one's legit. So what happens? So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the who? The poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. You see, the list of the cares of the world the land, the ox, the affections, the wife. Those are all excuses to do what? Not be ready, not listen to the word. So when you look here, but yet who did he go get? He went and got the publicans and the sinners, didn't he? He got the poor and the lame, because what are they? They're ready to hear the word. Who make, who's making up that little flock? The majority of them are publicans and sinners. The, you know, the, the outcast of society, there they are. Paul, Paul says to you and I, to the Corinthians, he says, look at you, not many noble, not many wise, not many mighty. That's who, look, at, look at who you are. He's not over here, you know, the Bill Gates and all that stuff of the world. He's over here in who? The heart of the believer. Now, look down at verse 28. Because here's the issue about counting the cost. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth where he, whether he be able to, with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an, an, uh, uh, a... Um, um, abashes, thank you, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Hey, you better count the cost. These guys, by the way, look back at chapter 12. Chapter 12 of Luke. Look at what he just said to the little flock when he says, hey, if you don't forsake everything, you're not my disciple. You haven't counted the cost here. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Look, look what is that little flock going to go do? They're going to go sell everything and bring it over here and give alms. Why? Because they're counting the cost. He looks at those, those disciples 
And he says, hey, don't provide for yourself. It'll be taken care of. Don't worry, this and that. He goes, all this program. In Acts 2, when Peter tells them to sell everything and, and bring it and lay it at the disciples' feet, what do they do? They go and do it. That's why when the Lord changes the program and Paul's like, now we've got to go take care of it. Man, Acts 15, Peter, the only, only one of, two things Peter asked Paul to remember as he's in ministry. One's remember the poor. Why? Because he had a bunch of poor people because they were doing their program and it got interrupted. Now they're what? They're poor. So Paul p collects up for the poor saints in Jerusalem, Romans 15, the end of 1 Corinthians, and he goes and he helps. So when you come back to Matthew or, or Mark 4, verse 19, when the cares come up, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, what happens? It chokes out the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Now, run over to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. So, when you think here about some of this, Matthew 19, here's another picture of the the uncertain uh, the deceitfulness of riches Matthew 19 the rich young ruler it's called verse 16 and behold one came and said unto him good master what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life and he said unto him why callest thou me good there is none good but one that is God but if by the way when he says that to that guy he says, you can't call me God unless you believe that I am God. The first commandment is what? You'll have no other gods before me. Because watch what he does. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt now bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? And, you know, I know, I heard a guy a couple years ago, Oh, there's no way that kid can do that. But, you know, he can. You can do, you know what, you cannot kill people. You cannot commit adultery. You can sit there and make a thing and say, you know what, I'm not going to murder. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to bear false witness. I am going to honor mom and dad. I am going to love my neighbor. You can do that. By the way, Paul in Philippians 3 says, concerning the righteousness of the law, what was he? Blameless. Zachari John the Baptist, mom and dad, Zacharias uh, and Elizabeth and Luke 1, they are blameless in the law so you can keep it him saying i've kept it all isn't uh, a bad boat it's not a brag it probably is the facts now keep reading the young man saith unto him all these things have i kept verse 20 from my youth up what lack i and jesus said unto him if thou will be what ah, perfect <laughs> Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. I've kept it all, and I've kept all of the law. The Ten Commandments, I've done it. And again, with your own ability, you can do that list. But what? If you want to be perfect, and again, that's our problem, we're not what? Perfect. We've got a little sin problem. What did he tell the little flock? Go sell everything, and off you, right? Go sell. So what's he doing here with, the, with this young man? He's inviting him to become part of the little flock. Verse 21, go and sell that which thou hast. To be a part of the little flock, young man, you've got to trust me, the Messiah. You've got to hear the word. You've got to go do, and you'll receive the kingdom. The problem is the next verse. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And what the old-time preachers say, great possessions had him. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Picture there. 
So what did they do? They, he doesn't do it. Verse 23, then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he's focusing in on the riches. And it isn't. You're to sell everything that you're having. In the earthly ministry of Christ, come back there to Mark 4. There was there were more than just the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were bound by the religious, that vain religious bail system. But there was also those who were listening. But for the lust of the flesh and for the cares of this world, they didn't follow. They didn't bear fruit. Stony in the thorny ground. So you can't just arbitrarily say, oh, it's just, you know, the vain religious system. That plays a part of it. But there's also these other parts, too. And really, when you look at this body of Christ, there's a great parallel in that for us. Because I had a guy one time tell me, uh, you're in Mark 4, right? One guy told me years, this must have been, must have been 20 years ago, because we were meeting in the La Quinta. We had just gotten started. And he was a guy, came from back east, and he loved to ski, both snow and water. So he was gone. I mean, every, almost every weekend they were out doing. And he told me, I said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. you. Haven't seen you in a while. And he looked at me and he said, if you can make a church go in this neighborhood, in this environment where you can play all the time, then you're doing a good job. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, I didn't, you know, whatever. But you know, he's right. Why? Because every weekend you can go and do something and you can real quickly forget about church. You can be over here. And that's literally kind of what's happening here. Now, verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Here, again, the issue, bringing forth fruit. The word has to work. They hear it, they believe it, and the result is bringing forth fruit. And again, the whole purpose in Israel's program is to bring forth fruit. He gives that first commandment there to, to Adam in the garden, the man, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, have dominion over it. And that is exactly the same issue that's happening over in with with Israel. Now come back come back uh, with me back to Matthew, and look at verse in chapter twenty one. Matthew twenty one. The parable of the sower is about the Lord Jesus Christ sowing the word of the kingdom in Israel. By the way, you'll notice there's no Gentiles being talked to here, because he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's come to get Israel ready and right so that they can be the channel of the blessings to all of the families of the earth. He's come. He's sowing the word amongst the nation of Israel, the king, and he's gathering out of that nation, that little flock, the good ground, the good fruit. You're in Matthew 21. Run back to Matthew 3 just real quick because you've got to catch this. All of this is connected and it's connected in the picture. And the wheat here, he's going to look at Matthew 3, uh, verse uh, 5. Then went out to, Jeru to him Jerusalem and all Judea, talking about John the Baptist's ministry and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he says to them, uh, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you, to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. That's the issue. They weren't doing it. They were off into the religious system. And I love verse 9. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. 
It's not about the physical descendancy issue. Now watch verse 10. And now, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Again, notice, what are we looking for? Good fruit, being fruitful. Verse uh, 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, that's Acts 2, and with fire. There's a trib, the second coming. Who, now watch, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So you've got this picture here. What's the fruit? The wheat. There's the little flock. He, he's identifying the fruit, the wheat. Who is it? The believing remnant. Well, who's the chaff? They're going to be destroyed. Unquenchable fire. There's that unbelieving element in the nation of Israel. There's, there, now go to Matthew 21. They're the guys that Matthew 21's talking to. They're the ones that, hey, we're over here on the wayside. We ain't even going to listen to you. Shut him down right away. Then you got the guys over on the stony ground and the thorny ground. They're, they, they're good. They're listening. They're paying attention. They see the benefits. They're like, all right, cool. And then something comes up that catches their eye, and they're off they go. Verse, Matthew 21, verse 33, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it around about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to the husbandman and went into a far country. See, the, the parable of the sower is about the Lord sowing the word in Israel. And by the way, the word of the kingdom, be specific. Gathering out the little flock, the wheat, and dealing with the chaff. The identifying that unbelieving element, which is what he does on those other three soils. Verse 33, we have another parable. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near. See that issue of fruit. <laughs> it's time for the harvest. He sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. He's waited for the fruit. He's, now he's come to get it. And the husband took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. The servants, by the way, they're the prophets. Okay? And the husbandman, verse 36, and again, his other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. So we've got disciples, the apostles, the prophets. And last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. And here's the Lord. And when the husband saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the, now watch. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Notice the question. When he comes back, what's he going to do to them? They say unto him. Now this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's who he's been talking to. Starts in verse 23. He will miserably destroy those wicked men. By, notice wicked. I, that word wicked just popping. And will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. See how you got a other husbandman now? Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you. Who? that unbelieving nation, and given to a nation. Not nations, but a nation. There's the little flock. If you're not little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you. Luke 22 down there, he talks about them. I've appointed a kingdom to you. 
But because watch, they're a nation doing what? Bringing forth the fruits thereof. He takes the authority of the kingdom from the religious leaders and he gives it to that little flock. Why? Because they're bringing forth the fruit that he's after. They're the other husbandmen. Verse 44, and whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of them. They got it. There was no guessing in this one. And then he says, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to kill him. Now go back there to Mark 4. And let's, in verse 20. And so the, the good ground, here's, guys, here's how I'm producing you, the little flock. I'm out here throwing the word, and you, you've heard it, you've received it. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Not born of men or flesh or blood, but born of God. John 1, 11, 12, and 13 there. But notice verse 20. And notice the end of the verse, and we'll stop here, because we're going to see this 30, 60, 100 idea as we move forward now in and through the book of Mark. So the 30, the 60, and the 100, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100, that is simply talking about growth, okay? It's not talking about anything else but them grow the little flock growing if you look at verse 28 for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself first the blade then the ear after that the what full corn in the ear see there's and by the way there's always three there's three in the process so we're talking about being fruitful but we're talking about being fruitful at every level of understanding. 30, 60, and 100. Come over to John 15. I'll show you one more, and then we'll be done. So it's really, because I've read some hokey things and heard some, oh, you know, boy, and, and it's just like that thing and, and when he goes away, leaves him with 10 pounds, and then he comes back, what'd you do? And you got 10 and 5, and you give... It's about growth. It isn't about, you know, sitting on it and doing nothing. It's what did you do? Look at John 15. Look at verse, well, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth, what? More fruit. See the more fruit? So he starts... With it, every branch that beareth fruit. Then he goes to bring forth, what? More fruit. Now drop down to verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth, what? Much fruit. For without me you can do. So you've got this, and when we go back into Mark 4, when we get down in, actually the next section in Mark 4, you're going to see this step. Bring forth fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And again, the point in this is he's demonstrating how the little flock is being gathered out of the apostate nation, and that the gospel of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, is being preached and you see the four responses back to it. And he's, he's establishing that little flock. And then we'll see him turn in Matthew 13, where he goes to the tares of the field and he says, okay, here's what the little flock's going to do as they go through the 70th week of Daniel, as they work in the early Acts period, the, the trib, and then down into the kingdom. Okay, now... We don't see the tares here in Mark. Actually, we're going to get some uh, the parable of the mustard seed, and we'll talk about that. The thing is, with the sower, here's the response coming back to him 
in his ministry. He's out throwing it out there, boom, just giving it to him. He's not holding anything back. And yet then we see those four responses back, okay? Now, the rest of the chapter, we'll see how it is and what it is and how his ministry is being responded to. Um, they're going to really kind of begin to drill down on him. And, and, the, and when we talk about that, I'm talking about the rulers of the synagogue and all that stuff. And, and we'll go through that as we go. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word and the ability to study it. And we thank you that we have it. And we thank you for all things that we have in you. In your name we pray.